Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. The Bible says the man who meditates on the Word of God day and night is blessed, that God's Word will not return back void. We want to make sure that we pour ourselves into God's Word, listening, obeying, and finding out what we believe based on what the Scripture says. Now, this Q&A is connected to a Bible study we had a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the purpose of the law in our Wednesday night Bible study. You can ask any question that you want to, write the word question in front of it, then write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and add any scripture references to it so that we can take time to look them up. We can even pull it up on the screen and look at them together. However, the first question always comes from the Bible study, the last Bible study we did, which for the us was not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before that. And uh, so next Saturday, we'll be connected to this evening's Bible study. Uh, So our first question today is connected to the purpose of the law. And it was asked, do we have to keep any of the law? If there are certain portions of the law that we are not supposed to keep, then do we have to, uh, or, or is there only certain portions of the law that we don't have to keep? This question is often asked because of the 10 commandments. People will say, well, we are under the 10 commandments, aren't we? And the real answer to that is no, the law was given to Israel. That doesn't mean the 10 commandments aren't good or that we shouldn't keep them. But in a way we do keep them because Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will be done away with uh, until it is completed or until it is fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the law, even the Sabbath day. We keep the Sabbath day because Jesus became our Sabbath. Even though we don't keep the Sabbath day like the Old Testament saints did, we, and there are some Jews especially today who do it, the Sabbatarian Christians don't generally keep the Sabbath day the way the Old Testament, uh, the way that it was kept uh, during the Old Testament times. Um, But we keep those Ten Commandments through love. The Bible says in several places that if we love one another, we fulfill all of the commandments. And so the reality is, is that we are never under the law in any way, shape, or form. We are not under the law because we are under grace and we are under Christ. That doesn't mean that it's okay to murder because the Bible, the Ten Commandments don't say, it says, do not murder. Of course, we want to walk in the kind of love that we are supposed to walk in. And if we love someone, we're not going to murder them. We're not going to covet what they have. We're not going to steal from them because love fulfills the law. Nevertheless, the law was a tutor. Salvation was presented 1800 years before Christ to Abraham. And then God gave Israel the law to keep them for 1400 years until the Messiah came. The promise of the Messiah was given to Abraham 1800 years ago. And then 1400 years ago, there was 1400 years ago, the law was given under Moses. And uh, this law was, was there to keep them, to keep us, and to give us a picture of sin. In fact, it says because of transgression, the law was added so we would know what sin is. But let me go ahead and put up on the screen for you here this passage from our passage last uh, two Wednesday nights ago. It says, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, 
which would afterwards be revealed. So before the law came, we were kept under guard. I mean, before faith came, we were, we were kept under guard by the law. Of course, that's the nation of Israel. You and I have never been under the law. We were in our flesh, and then we chose to commit our lives to Christ, and now we are in faith. But when they committed themselves in faith and followed and served him, they were translated from the place where they were kept under guard by the law to faith, which afterwards would be revealed. And then it says this, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was never meant to justify and by the law, no flesh can be justified. And if man can be saved by works, then Jesus died in vain. So the question, do we have to keep any of the law? Kind of a trick answer, if you've ever heard of that before, is that we keep it by love. If we walk in love, we are fulfilling all of the law. But we don't have to keep the dietary laws. We don't have to keep the ceremonial laws. Uh, there is the moral laws that we find carried over and reiterated, and we can learn from them. But we are not under the law or keeping the law we're under a new law, the law of love and the law of faith. And so we love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and don't find ourselves living by the law in any way, shape, or form. All right. So thank you for your question on our Bible study last week. If you guys have any other questions about the purpose of the law, that is what our Bible study was about last week. Remember, when you write your questions, remember to uh, put the word question in front of it or a question mark or a Q and then write out your question. Make sure it makes sense. Make sure you know what you're asking. Write it out a couple of times. If I read it and, it and I just can't figure it out, rather than taking a stab at it and answering it wrong, I'll ask you to resubmit your question, all right? So read it, uh, write, uh, write it out, reread it a couple of times. Make sure you're asking what you want to ask and then go ahead and submit it. All right, so I'm gonna take the first question here. Andre's got the first question again. Good job, Andre. Um, Andre says, question, what does it mean break up your fallow ground? Hosea 12.10. All right, let's see if we can go to that passage. And um, since my last name is Furrow, that's a farming name, fallow ground is a farming term as well. So I should know this. Let's take a look at this. I want to see what the context of the, the statement is, and then we'll talk about what fallow ground is and what it means to break up the fallow ground of our hearts. So I'm just trying to look here. Um, Israel's sin and captivity. So he's talking about the nation of Israel, why they're in captive in, or going to be either one in captive, why they were in cap captivity. Um, so in verse nine, make sure I got the right one. Um, Hosea, what was the passage there? Hosea 10, yeah, 10, 12. Oh, 12, all right, good. I was reading this and going, I don't see that. All right, there we go. All right, so he's talking to them about what they need to do uh, in order to find and have real repentance, all right? So that's the context of this verse. And here's what it says. We want that one. We want that one. There we go. Here's, here's what it says. This is verse 12. So for yourself righteousness. So he's talking to them about their sin and why they were taken into captivity. And then he says to them, so for yourself righteousness, do what's right. Reap in mercy. Be merciful to the people that are around you. Break up your fallow ground. 
for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness and you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of mighty men. And so he's talking to them about what they need to do to make things right. And he gives them a list of things there. One of them is to break up the fallow ground that is in your heart. Fallow ground is hard ground. When you've got hard ground, you take a plow and you break up that fallow ground and you get rid of the rocks and you break it up so that you can plant in it and you're going to get something good. They've been planting to all kinds of things. They've been reaping all kinds of things. And now they need to break up the fallow ground, the hard ground in their lives, probably the fallowness of their heart. The Bible says that seed can fall along the wayside. That would be fallow ground. And we need to pray that God would soften our hearts so that the word of God can be planted and so that we can grow thereby. And that's what Israel needed to do and what Hosea was saying to them. This is all farming analogies because they were very familiar with what farming analogies were. And so he says to them, break up that fallow ground of your heart so that you can reap from the spirit, so you can reap the truth. This would translate to us when we are involved in sin and God would speak to us about getting away from sin and living for him, that we would break up the fallow ground of our hearts. If somehow we're hard towards God, towards the things of God, we need him to soften us up and we need to break up that fallow ground so that God's word can be planted and we can grow closer to him. Uh, and um, if you've got a hard heart, if God's word can't be planted, it's gonna be on the wayside, the birds of the air are gonna come and take it away. So thank you, Andre, for that passage out of the book of Hosea, talking about the children of Israel uh, why they were in captivity. Psychman, good to see you. Good to have you joining us. Um, Psychman says, don't take the Lord's name like a wife in vain. Don't take the Lord's name like a wife in vain. Pray in Jesus's name means don't wear God's name and be unfaithful to him. Praying in Jesus name is simply praying as his faithful bride. No. Um, psych man, I'm sorry. I don't understand all of your question here. Um, don't take the ladies, don't take the Lord's name like a wife in vain. So I've never heard the, the phrase like a wife. I don't know if that's impl Im implied in the text. I don't know why it's added. Um, I don't think it does. I could be wrong. Pray in Jesus name means don't wear God's name. Um, and be unfaithful to him. Um, yeah, um, I, I, I'm gonna say I don't, that, I don't think that's what it means. I think praying in Jesus's name means that you are praying things that Jesus wants for you, that you're praying his will, and that you're calling out to the Son of God in his name, with his authority, to be able to do the things that God wants you to do. Praying in his name, I don't think would be being unfaithful faithful to him. That's just being unfaithful to him. That's not praying in his name. When you're praying, you're asking God for a request. You're, you're talking to God. And certainly you don't want to be praying and be unfaithful to him. But I think that when you're praying for something God doesn't want for you, when you're praying for your own desires, for your own heart, you're not praying your will be done, your kingdom come. Um, praying in the name of Jesus, simply praying as his faithful bride.
Um, yeah, praying in the name of Jesus means that you are asking him. It means that you are submitted to his authority. It means you are looking for what he wants to give you and living for him. So sorry, psych man. I just don't understand the question completely. And, um, um, maybe we can clarify that a little bit more. I would appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, we have, it's good to see you guys. Thank you, Keith, for being here. I appreciate that. Um, Keith is our moderator today and Jari has a question. Jari says, will the law be back during the millennial period? And what will happen to someone who commits abortion during that time? How will justice be swift? Jesus rules with iron. Thanks. Yeah. In in the millennial period, Jesus rules with a rod of iron and he's ruling from David's throne and he's ruling over the entire world from David's throne, but he is ruling over Israel and the renewal renewed world, uh, that he watches over. Um, I don't think we will be, they will be giving sacrifices during the millennium, which is an interesting thing, but I think they are in memorial. I don't think the law comes back to those who are there because the savior is sitting on the throne. I think that we are saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom. I haven't seen anything that would make me think differently. Uh, if you have something that makes you think that possibly it's not faith in Christ that saved someone during the millennial period, I would be interested in seeing what that passage is, but I don't know of any. And, um, what will happen to someone who commits abortion during uh, that time? Will justice be swift? I would imagine so. Yeah, I would imagine so. It's a sad thing today that a child, can, most innocent child cannot be protected. And I believe that he will be protected during that time. All right, Jari. So thank you very much for your question. Uh, we look forward to that time when Christ is reigning during the millennial period. period and what an amazing thing. Uh, that will be. All right. We have a question from Keith. So Keith, um, Keith says, what celestial body did Joshua command to stand stand still? And that's Joshua 10, 13. So let's go ahead and open that up. Joshua 10, 13. Joshua, right, is the, um, the assistant of Moses who took over for him. And Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land. It's no mistake that Joshua's name means salvation and that Jesus's name is Joshua, which is salvation as well. So Joshua becomes a type of Jesus bringing us into the promised land. Uh, Joshua is a type bringing the children of Israel into the promised land of us being brought by Joshua into the promised land. And so in Joshua 10, 13, I think there's a battle taking place. If I remember this correctly and Joshua commands, it says the sun here. So let me go ahead and put this on screen for you and we'll take a look at it. It says, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. So let me do this. I want to just, because you got a question about what these bodies are, I would assume they're the sun and the moon, but I want to go ahead and take a look at this in the Strong's Concordance so that we can, 
so we can look and see what exactly those words are. Joshua 10, verse 12. Let me go ahead and bring this back up on the screen for you. Now, this is um, the concordance. It's connected to the Hebrew words, and this would be the Texas Receptus that the New King James and the King James Bible is based on. So it would be the words that are used in those particular manuscripts. Um, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day the Lord had delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel and said in the sight of Israel, "Stand, son, stand still. So let's take a look at son there and see what it says. So there's the Greek word for son. It's from an unusual root, meaning to be brilliant. The sun by implication, the East figurative array, a notched battlement, East side, sun, West. So I don't know if this is the typical word for sun. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring this down here. We can see that it's used as sun in one place against the sun in another place, under the sun, under the sun and the sun, seven places. Um, so it looks to me like the commentators, the, the, the scholars who worked on this translated it as sun. And I'm going to say this probably pretty solid that it is sun. Let's go back to our text and let's take a look at moon. So there's the Greek word for moon. Um, for you who are listening on the radio or on our podcast, Y-A-R-A-E-A-C-H, Y-A-R-E-A-C-H, Yareaki, Yareaki. But my Hebrew is horrible. So definition uh, from the same as 3391, the moon, moon. All right. So I think we could be pretty sure by looking at those words there, Keith, that Joshua commanded the moon and the sun uh, to stand still. Let's get a Bible back up here. All right. So that God commanded the moon and the sun to stand still so that a battle could continue on. What an extraordinary thing for Joshua, who is a type of Joshua, the son of God, or the son of man, both, right? To be able to command the sun and the moon to stand still. And so I think that everything kind of froze for that period of time. And the battle continued on and they were able uh, to be victorious. And um, yeah, and then you've got a reference here to the book of Jasher, which is another book that is not a biblical book, which is interesting that that's uh, spoken of in the book of Joshua as well. All right. So thank you, Keith, for your question. I think it was the moon and uh, the sun. And we have a question from fact, check these hands, fact, check these hands. Glad you could join us. I'm not doing it a day early this time. Um, by the way, a little update on my wife. She's had her surgery. It was exactly a week ago and she's recovering and, you know, things kind of go up and down with recovery, but pray for her. Uh, it seems like she's recovering well. Recovery from major surgery is always slow. So thank you guys for your prayers. I really do appreciate it. So question on social media, I share posts about gospel, eschatology, end times, etc. I in hopes of reaching the lost. Will I be rewarded in, in heaven for sharing God's word in this way? Yeah, fact check these hands. Um, let me go to a let me go to a passage here for you. And um, this is a passage that is spoken to pastors that when the chief shepherd appears, uh, he will bring a reward with him. But look at the kind of things that these pastors do. All right, so let me get there first. Um, 
Yeah, there we go. All right, so let me go ahead and bring this up on the screen for you. Fact check these hands. So he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort you, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not out of compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. So caring for people, this, this is elders. Elders is a pastor and Jesus is the chief pastor. And really he's the real pastor and we are co-laboring with him, but we are taking care of his flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he's going to bring a crown of glory with him. And so when we do the work of the gospel, now this is specifically talking to pastors, but I think that we can say when we do the work of the gospel and we're committed to it, that there is a crown of glory that would be there. But I think that your greatest reward, fact check these hands, is that people are going to come to Christ. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. And behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. So we know how to let people in. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Meaning that if we are preaching the gospel, some plant seeds, some water, and the Bible says, and God adds the increase. And so we faithfully give. Jesus said, use the mammon of this world. Mammon would be money things. I think social media would be things to make friends in heaven. Maybe the greatest reward for us when we're sharing Christ with people, when we're doing things like this right here now, or in hopes of reaching people for Christ, is that they'll be in heaven. That we'll have friends in heaven that we will have been a part of. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that it's about being used by God in 100% in someone's life to bring them to Christ. It's about planting seeds. It's about watering those seeds. So everything we put out for that purpose with that motive will be rewarded. Now, if you're putting up those social media posts to be seen, and we have to check our hearts for this. No one is above this. I'm not calling you out, fact check these hands. I'm just saying none of us are above it. Then we know that our rewards are going to be put to the test, the fire. And what's made of wood, hay, and stubble, which I believe would be, which I believe would be wrong motives, then we won't receive a reward. But that which is done genuinely with the right heart to see people touched and saved. A lot of times things can be done for selfish reasons. A lot of times things can be done out of selfish ambition. And the Bible says, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition. And that we are to do everything that we do for him, living our lives for him instead of trying to do it for ourselves. And we wanna make sure we check ourselves that we're doing it with the right heart and the right motive, really loving God and loving his people so that we can see the lost come to Christ. And I think if we do that, then we'll receive rewards, but who knows what these rewards are and why I would have to have those rewards in heaven, by the way. So what will we do with them? Maybe we'll take the rewards that we have and like the 24 elders that cast their, th their crowns before the throne, maybe we'll throw our rewards out before his throne. So yes, I think anything that you do for the gospel of Christ will be rewarded when it's done with a right heart. If it's done to be seen, if it's done to try to get people to think good of you, if it's done through selfish ambition and pride, then there will be no reward. 
Jesus said, when you do your good works, do them in such a way that men see your good works and glorify your Father who is up in heaven. So we want to make sure that we are lifting him up and living our lives for him. All right, fact check these hands. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, very good. And um, I think we all should have that heart and that desire to do the things that God wants us to do without seeking selfishly to be seen or to be recognized or to be lifted up, but instead letting God get the glory. And um, that's not always an easy thing for us to do. So Kimberly, good to see you. Good to have you here with us today. Kimberly says, I don't understand how faith in Christ will save someone during the millennium. How can they have faith if they see and know the Lord? It's more like choosing evil over good, isn't it? So faith is believing. And during the millennium, people are going to still have a sin nature. We're talking about those who are being ruled over on the earth. So they're still going to have a sin nature. And people choose to believe things all, all the time. And I don't think it's like certainty at that point for the people who live on the earth, like they're living under complete certainty at that time. I think it's by trusting and remember, believing doesn't just mean that you believe that God exists or believing doesn't just mean that you believe that he's there. Believing means that you put your trust in him. You believe him enough to do what he says when he says, call on his name and be saved. And I don't think that everyone, and I, I mean, again, hey, I'm not an expert on the millennium by any means. There's a lot of passages that talk about it. There's a lot of things that are there. I don't think people are born into salvation. I think they have to make a decision. Now, if I'm wrong, then great. Let's, let's look at some scriptures if I'm wrong about that, but I don't think I am. I think that they have to come to faith and they're going to have to receive Christ. They're going to have to believe in him, the work that he did for them upon the cross in order to be genuinely saved. I don't think just being in the millennium period and seeing Jesus on the throne means that they've trusted in him, that they've received him. Uh, Kimberly, when I come back to my own personal salvation, I'd gone to the United Methodist Church, was baptized in it as a baby. And at 14 years old, I went to MYF, which is Methodist Youth Foundation. And uh, the youth pastor was there at the time. He was a summer youth pastor there. And um, he would only be there, I think, for that summer, maybe the next, and then he would be gone. But he said to me, when I came in early, it was just me and him, heaven. I said, yeah. And he said, why? I said, because I believe in God. And he said, well, does the devil believe in God? See, the devil knows that God's there. The devil knows Jesus rose from the dead, but that's demonic faith. You know, you believe, but you haven't really committed your life completely to him. And so he said, is the devil going to heaven? And I said, no. He says, well, then it takes more than just believing that God exists. And he explained to me that I have to put my trust in him, that I've got to believe enough to ask him into my life. And I did. I prayed a prayer with him. And at 14 years old, I was transformed. God brought me into the kingdom of God. And I began to live for him by his grace and walking in that grace. And so, like James said, people during the millennium, I think could have demonic faith where they know that God exists like demons do, but they don't trust him and they don't believe in him and they don't follow him.
So believing in Jesus is much more than just believing that he exists. It's actually believing in him, living for him. All right. So thank you, um, Empress Kimberly. I appreciate uh, your question. I think that I think, and, and again, I'm open to, I'm not an expert on the millennium. Like I said, I'm open to something that the Bible says that is different. But as far as I know, then we'll be uh, those living in the millennium period will be saved by faith. With as many questions as we get on the millennium, I'm going to become an expert on it because I'm going to start taking some time to really pour into it. Um, I don't know why. Um, I mean, I'm interested in studying the scriptures on the millennium, but I'm just not interested in diving into every detail about it. Um, but we'll keep getting questions. I'm sure we will. Uh, Jesus has this good name. Jesus has this good to have you here with us. Uh, question, a ministry of Jesus's love to do drive buys with bags of food, water, and homeless with tracks um, in them. Is that sowing a seed in Jesus's name, trying to not let the right hand know what? Um, yeah, so putting a bag together for the homeless. I mean, again, what a great ministry. There are so many homeless today they're so visible and to be able to come alongside of them and help them. And, um, I think that if that's your call and that's what you want to do, you can do that. Uh, I could give you a suggestion. If you know someone who is an evangelist that he could go down and start talking with them, praying with them. I mean, he doesn't have to go in and say, listen, I want to talk to you about Jesus. He can go down to where there's homeless people at or find a homeless person and, and just say, Hey, can I, can I talk with you? Can I pray with you? I'm a Christian. I'd like to pray with you. We also want to give you some things here in the name of Christ. So I struggle with the same thing that you struggle with. Jesus has this uh, when I give money to those on the corner who are begging. And do I say, God bless you? Let them know it's from God. Do I say in the name of Jesus or do I just give it to them and say, here you go. And I usually say, here you go. The Lord bless you because I want them to know that it's the compassion of Christ that is compelling me to give it to them. Um, but you're right. When you give, you don't want to let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. And I think there's a balance here on how we share. Um, but great, great ministry. I think it's very near the heart of Jesus to give to the poor. I often say that the poor are the sweet spot for the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. And we should look for ways to be able to reach out and minister to them. We're continuing the work of Christ. And I think that we're really, by doing so, uh, really settling into God's heart in these situations. All right. So thank you very much. I make sure I got it all. As a ministry of love, we have drive-by bags, food, water for the homeless, and tracks in them. Yeah. So, I mean, with the tracks in them, you're doing exactly what you need to do to let them know that it's coming from Christ. There's something in there that they can read and they can be blessed spiritually. It's not just meeting their needs, but you're putting tracks in them. So yeah, try not to let the right hand know what the right hand is doing. And I do understand that. <clears throat> All right. So thank you very much. Uh, Jesus has this. Let's go ahead and take a look at our next question. It's good to have you guys with us. If you're joining us here for the first time, then put the word question down before your question, then write out your question, question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, then go ahead and submit it. And uh, we'll take a look at it and add the reference in that you're talking about 
and we can pull it up and look at it if we want to be able to do that. All right. So we have a question here from Gloria. Gloria, good to see you. Gloria says, hello, Pastor Robert. How do you refute apostolic succession biblically when our Catholic friends use Acts 1, 12 through 26 to justify their position? Thank you, Pastor, uh, and God bless. So, um, apostolic succession. All right, let's take a look at what that, um, what that text is. So, this would be that the apostleship was passed down, and I think they would be saying, and again, I don't know enough about Catholicism, but I think they would be saying that the Pope has the authority of an apostle and that that was passed down. If uh, somebody else has a clarification on that, that would be great. But let's look at 12 through 26. Let's just go ahead and read it. Acts 1, 12 through 26. Um, So this is an upper room prayer meeting. Let me go ahead and put this on the screen for you. The upper room prayer meeting. Then they returned from Jerusalem, from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered and went up into the upper room, where they were staying, Peter, James, and John, Philip, Andrew, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, these all continued with one accord, prayers and supplications with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. So these are the basic disciples of Jesus during his lifetime. I think the ascension has just taken place and they returned to Jerusalem and um, his brothers. So here we have James, Jude, um, Jude, uh, half brother of Jesus, wrote the books of, Ju- of Judas, um, and Jesus, uh, half brother James, wrote the book of James, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So then they choose Matthias, and here's probably the succession question. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number and the names was about 120, and said, "Men and brethren, the Scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became." a guide to those who were arrested, who arrested Jesus for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man perished in a field with wages of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed, gushed out. And it became known to all those who dwell in Jerusalem so that the field is called their own language, Achan Dama, that is the field of blood. A little bit of clarity on Judas hanging himself. So Judas hangs himself probably up there for a while and bloated. And and when a branch broke or the rope broke, it fell and spilled his guts out. Or maybe when they cut him down, it fell and spilled his guts out. Because generally, if someone falls headlong, their their guts don't fall out. They I guess they could. Uh, not talking about not being an expert, right? Um, but generally it's thought that he was up there a while, bloated. Um, remember there was a Sabbath day. So if he was in a remote place, it could be possible that no one passed by, maybe even for a couple of days, because there might've been a Passover Sabbath and a regular Sabbath <clears throat> during that time. And then it says, for as it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take the office. Therefore, of those men who have accompanied us all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John on that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proceeded to Joseph called 
Barsabas, Bar, Bar who was called surnamed Justus and Matthias, and they prayed and said, Yet, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you choose. Take part in the ministry of the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So there's a few things that are very interesting here. Number one, that they chose to cast lots to find out the will of God. And so there was the Urim and the Thummim in the Old Testament, which was a device that could show you whether or not God had spoken and could show you whether God wanted you to do something or not. So let's go back to your question here. Hello, Pastor Robert. How do we refute apostolic succession uh, biblically when our Catholic friends use Acts 12 through 26 to justify their position? So I don't know whether God directed Peter to choose the replacement of the 12, but I think that you could look at this passage and go, this is the replacement of the 12. It's not going out and continuing apostleship. We know that when, he, when, when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, there are 12 foundations and the names of the apostles are on them. My question is, whose name's going to be on it? Is it going to be Matthias or is it going to be Paul? Paul was an apostle as well. Some said this is before the giving of the Holy Spirit and what they were doing was not really directed by the Holy Spirit. And so they cast lots, which is an Old Testament thing to do. I don't think we should be flipping coins now to decide who the next leader is going to be. I don't even know if they were right in doing it. I'm not willing to say they were wrong. I'm just saying, I don't know. It seems suspect to me. And so if I were talking to a Catholic who used this um, as evidence uh, for apostleship the, going on into the Pope, um, I would say, I don't think that this has anything to do with that. It has to do with replacing one of the apostles that went away, not a continual succession of apostleship. I don't think we see that. We see that Barnabas is called an apostle, a sent out one. Uh, we see that there's a gal, is it Phoebe in the Bible, who's called an apostle? Again, that's a sent out one. I don't know if it means like, it doesn't mean apostle. I don't think it means apostle, like having the apostleship. So there was a way in which the word apostle is used, which simply means sent out one. And then there was the office of the apostles, and that seems to be the 12 apostles, and the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, maybe meaning Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets in the book of Acts, that they were there during the early part because we didn't have the word of God to be able to direct us and guide us. So that's how I would refute it. I would say, I don't believe in a succession of apostle, uh, apostle, uh, apostolistic succession. I don't believe that there are apostles among us today that had the same authority that the apostles had. Remember, they had to see Jesus. And Paul, when he's giving the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says, and finally Jesus appeared to me as one born out of time. So Jesus came and revealed himself to, Pete, to Paul a couple of times. And so Paul fits that as an apostle. Personally, I lean that way. I try not to be dogmatic where there's no reason to end up being dogmatic. Just, uh, ah, there we go. Something is back. Let me see if I can. Hold on, hold on just a second, would you?
All right, we're gonna go with this the rest of the time. So, sorry, my um, computer that is driving my background died and live. So it says, if you can see this here, it says no signal and then changes it. Um, I could take time to fix it, uh, but I won't. All right, so it's just gonna change every so often and gonna be funky. It's kind of interesting anyway, no signal. Oh, now we got a, what do we got? A computer screen now behind us? All right. Well, that works a little bit better, I guess. All right. So let's continue on. All right. So thank you, Gloria. I appreciate that. That'll teach me, by the way, to plug in my computer before I, uh, before I, I start. I just plugged it into uh, the projector. And um, I got a little picture of a younger me there behind me. All right. So uh, I, yeah, I don't, I would, I wouldn't say that that is not, a succession of apostleship. It's just choosing an apostle to replace Judas. And that's uh, really what that was all about. All right. So um, let's go to our next question. It's good to see you guys. If you're new here, glad you're here and you're joining us. Uh, you can write out the word, you can write out the word question, and then you can ask your question and um, reread it a couple times, make sure that it makes sense and then go ahead and submit it, and we'll do our best to be able to look at it. Certainly not saying that I've got all the answers to all the questions. Uh, we're looking at it and maybe working through some things that we don't know by looking it up in the Word of God and seeing what else the Bible has to say about it. All right, um, follow-up. Will we be naked in the new heaven and new earth as Adam and Eve were, and we still be uh, covered since some of us have been abused and lusted after, but no sin in the new heaven. So there goes my backdrop again. Um, you know what I'm going to do? Watch this. I'm going to do this right here. There we go. Now we've just got a nice black background. And um, so your question, Jari, I don't know. I, I would think that when we're in heaven, we're going to be clothed. That's what I would think. That's what I see. I don't have a picture in my mind of everybody walking around naked, nor do I want to think about that when, when people are in heaven. Maybe there's no sin, kind of like Adam and Eve didn't know that they were naked, and maybe it won't be a big deal. I kind of hope that's not the case, all right? Um, but I have no idea. The Bible does not address that issue, and I'm pretty confident with that. You know, every once in a while I'll say, maybe there's a scripture out there that I don't understand, but I'm pretty confident of that. Thanks, Jari. I appreciate that. So... Um, we have a question here that comes to us from YouTube. All right, so um, the question comes from, is it Kaysen? Am I saying your name correctly? Kaysen? Uh, what are some ways to improve talking to people about God and the Bible? That's a great, a great question. A great question. Um, what are some ways to improve talking to people about God and the Bible? First of all, I think we want to listen. We want to ask questions and we want to listen to them. I think that sometimes we go in with this desire to share Christ and we're so ready to talk that we don't take time to listen. So the Bible says, be slow to speak and quick to hear. So I like to listen to what people are saying and then repeat it back to them accurately. So sometimes when somebody tells you something like, 
Well, I believe, you know, you're sharing Christ. You ask, what do you think about, one of the things that I do is I ask people questions about Christ or about eternity. Are you going to heaven? Do you believe in a God? Do you believe that there's a heaven? Do you believe that there's a hell? I ask questions like that. Um, when I'm, when I'm looking to share Christ with someone who doesn't know Jesus, or I don't know where they stand. And then when they tell me, I believe that, that, um, everyone that is basically good is going to go to heaven. I try to hear them out. I'm really listening for what they're saying. Cause I could build a real easy straw man around that to just tear it down. But I listen and then I'll repeat it back. So you believe that for people that are basically good compared to human standards. So out of all humanity, the people that lean towards the good are going to make it into heaven and the people who aren't what's going to happen to them. And so now I'm listening to them. Now, I might have a little bit of an advantage, but I don't think so. I think, yeah, you know, as a pastor and them knowing I'm a pastor, they might ask me questions back. But I think that for someone who genuinely listens to them and isn't just ready to fire back, cut them off when they say something like, well, I believe that if man's basically good. They go to heaven and you just, go, just attacking them right away. Um, and you're only interested in what you're saying. I think that's a, an extremely ineffective way of sharing the gospel. I think that if we listen, we repeat back what they say. I like to repeat it back in such a way that they go, yeah, yeah, that's what I believe. And, and then I can maybe bring up some questions about that. Like, okay, well, who is the judge of what's good enough? And where's the cutoff line? What is it that, that someone's good enough they can go to heaven and what is bad enough that they go to hell? And so you just kind of try to start entering in a little bit more to what they're doing, asking a few fewer questions. And then you might be able to say, after you've listened to them well, and remember sharing Christ is an investment in time. It's not just going in and blasting someone and leaving. That's not sowing good, effective seeds. You share Christ by surrendering yourself to him, committing yourself to Christ and living um, wholeheartedly for him and, um, and, and sharing Christ with them by listening to them first. So I think that that's really important. What are some ways to improve talking to people about God and the Bible? Um, so yeah, I think that that would be very helpful. And I found that when I take time to listen to someone, that when I start to share and the Holy Spirit starts to move, that it becomes much more impactful. I was, I was talking with someone who was talking to me about heaven and I started talking to them about super, I started asking them questions about the supernatural. Do you believe that there is a supernatural? Do you believe that, that something happens that can't be explained in the material world or by the material world? And I was able to share with them from that. Then if God sent Jesus to the cross to be resurrected from the dead, to show us we could have eternal life, then that's God did something supernatural that people may have trouble believing, but is yet supernatural. And I was able to share with them that Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will never die. And even if you do die, you will live again and that he was the resurrection and the life and that God sent someone to do something supernatural to be able to do that. But it came from a lot of listening to them to finally be able to get to the point where I shared. Now they didn't receive Christ, but I believe there were some seeds planted. There were some seeds that were watered 
and God adds the increase. And so I'll just put my trust in him that those kind of things are going to take place, are going to happen uh, because of, of him and, and what he's done. All right. So um, that's what I think about sharing God in the Bible. I think you ask a lot of questions. You listen. You really genuinely care about people. Uh, and this goes a long ways in life as well. When you just want to talk over someone and you don't want to stop and listen. When I start to say something and then someone says something, I just try to stop. And then I try to stop. Then I try to stop. I try to genuinely hear what they're saying because then I can respond from an informed position and it becomes much more powerful, I think. All right, Kason. So thank you. Um, I hope that helps. And may the Lord bless you as you take time to really begin to reach out and look for opportunities to be able to share Christ. Uh, so we have another question from Fact Check These Hands about a future um, hot topic. Can we do a hot topic on the marriage supper of the Lamb? Or can you do a sermon on it? Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm really considering covering the book of Revelation pretty soon. Uh, we covered the seven letters to the seven churches at the beginning of COVID, but we didn't go on in the book of Revelation. And so I think I want to do a study with something kind of like, you know, Revelation for, you know, kind of like some, you know, whatever for dummies or for idiots. Um, I won't call it that because I don't want to insult people as you're doing a study, but being able to simply understand the book of Revelation and uh, taking a lot of the complicatedness out of it and looking at what's there. And um, we would do a, uh, a, a whole study on the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's something I'm certainly interested in and that I could look into uh, a little bit more than I, than I have an understanding of it now. So yes, thank you. Fact check these hands. I appreciate that. And I'll look for another question here. If um, you're here for the first time, glad to have you. Really good to have you here with us. If you have a question, then write the word question out and then reread your question a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. And we will take your question and um, look at it. So uh, a lot of interaction going on here. Good to see you guys. Love the interaction that we've got here. Um, I'm going to start announcing to the church that we're having these Q&As and that the first few questions are on the sermon uh, that we are covering, that we covered um, in the last Wednesday. So if people have a question, they'll be joining us and then asking questions about the message um, that we just did. So, um, we have a question from, let me look at this. All right. So let's bring this in. We have a question that comes to us from YouTube. Um, I know what demonic faith is, but sometimes I feel a great fear of the Lord. I believe he's real and in Jesus, but I can't help but feel terrified. So thank you for your question. There's a healthy fear of the Lord where we know we're going to stand before him one day. We want to do things properly and correctly. And so we aren't scared to death of him. And then there is an unhealthy fear of the Lord where we may be thinking of things that we should not be and finding ourselves um, 
finding ourselves like you kind of paralyzed because of that fear that we could have um, of the Lord. And I don't think that that's healthy. So I think there's an unhealthy where you're terrified and it's paralyzing. What you want to do is make sure that you make a genuine commitment to Christ and that you're walking with him, knowing that God's mercy is new every day, that he's full of grace, that he's full of love, that he's generous kind and that if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that you don't have to be terrified about him however i mean if there's a reason to be if you're not living for him i don't know everything that's going on in your life and i'm I'm certainly not accusing but i'm simply saying if you're not living for him then maybe there's a reason to be terrified because you're under the wrath of God. But if you're received him and you're living for him, you want to do what he wants you to do, which is one of the signs that we know that we're saved, right? So first John tells us um, that by this, we know that we know him. If we are keeping his commandments, doesn't mean we keep them all the time, but it means that we are keeping them and we want to walk with them. And so I appreciate your question. And I hope that helps. Um, it's never a good feeling to be terrified. And remember that God is approachable through Jesus Christ. That we can go boldly before the throne and that there's no reason for us to have that tariff to be terrified um, of the Lord. So I, I, I hope that helps. And I hope you find yourself not being terrified. A good, healthy respect, awe, fear of the Lord. I want to make sure I don't do some things that maybe in my flesh I want to do because of a good, healthy respect and fear of God, but certainly don't want to be terrified. All right. So thank you very much for your question. If you have some clarification, I would love to hear that as well. Um, So we have a question here from Facebook. Polly uh, says, um, question, do you have any words of wisdom as a leader when Christians are challenged by non-believers on social media after offering thoughts and prayers after tragedies like the, the school shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Social media is such a toxic place. And if you're going to minister on social media, then you got to find ways to try to be loving, but to also draw some lines because you could be casting your pearls before swine. And so you you need to look for opportunities where there is an opening. And um, I I think that really, to be honest, spending a lot of time on social media is not healthy. It's not good. And to be arguing with people on social media, we might think we're doing something that's good, but really are we casting our pearls before swine and not really doing what the Lord wants us to do. So words of wisdom as a leader, when a Christians are challenged by non-believers on social media. Uh, yeah, I think when I'm talking to non-believers and they have a little bit of venom behind them, I just want to really show the love of Christ. I'm not trying to win an argument. That's really important. Sometimes we get the idea that we want to win an argument. I, I don't want to win an argument with them. I don't want to persuade them to suddenly believe like I believe unless it's on Christ believing and following him. And that's it. So if I'm not approaching it with 
an argument for the second amendment or, but I'm just not, I'm just not arguing with them. I'm not engaging with them on an argument level. Then I think that you would have an opportunity to be able to, to maybe talk about Christ. And, um, it's not easy, especially when it comes to politicized problems. And, um, I heard a pastor say here recently that we need to get over everything being so political. And I understand what he's saying. I think political issues are important. I think we should vote, but I think the things of Christ are so much more important. And, um, I would probably, if I were, if I found myself interacting with someone about this, I would probably want to talk to them about the family. I would want to go with the love that God has for this family and that God can use tragedy to bring good in people's lives. And that's what I've prayed for this particular shooting, that God would take these tragedies, these families have gone through and faced, and he would turn that around for the good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, that these people would come to know Christ, that something along those lines would happen. So kind of like we talked about a little bit earlier, listening is important, but social media is different because it's just so toxic. When you, you're not looking at somebody in the eyes. And so, you know, people can just attack. And, um, you know, I find myself regularly going, I'm not going to cast pearls before swine here. There's times when I do, when I try to reason with someone, but I'm never arguing to try to persuade anyone. I just want to present what the Bible says and facts, and then go ahead and, and live for him. So I think we've got enough time here for um, one more question. I appreciate you guys joining us today. And um, we have a final question from Empress Kimberly. Um, she says, follow up. Who do you think the 12th apostle's name will be on the foundation of the New Jerusalem? Paul or Matthias? Um, opinion time. All right. This is Robert Furrow's opinion. I have, I have a little bit to base it on. I can tell you why I have the opinion. Um, I think it's Paul. I think that Matthias was chosen before the giving of the Holy Spirit, which is in Acts chapter two. And I think that God chose Paul who first attacked the church and then would be transformed to be a leader in the church. And out of all the apostles, Paul did more in the book of Acts and in the early church than any of the other apostles. On top of that, Paul defended his apostleship. Jesus appeared to him. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, while Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And so, Looking at all of that, my opinion is, is that it was Paul. Could I get to heaven and find out that God is like, silly man, I chose Matthias and there's his name. Maybe so. I don't think so, which is why I have my opinion. And it's a somewhat educated opinion of, of why I think that it would be Paul. Um, not dogmatic about things like this. I want to be dogmatic about how you're saved. I want to be dogmatic about the work of the spirit in your life. I want to be dogmatic about us living, how we can live our uh, live for Christ and live effectively for him. I don't want to be dogmatic about which apostle's name is on the foundation. I do have my opinions though. All right. And that is my opinion. Thank you, uh, Kimberly, for that. I do appreciate that. Um, and so um, we'll, we'll end with this one. Renee, it says, um, how is Kathy doing? 
I pray that all is well. God bless you, Pastor Robert. So please continue to pray for her. So she had major surgery on her back and uh, she is in recovering now. She's home. She had it a week ago today. She's recovering now. Pray that there would be a complete recovery, that she would get her mobility back. Uh, pray that she would grow during this time, that her friends uh, would bless her. Thank you so much for all the prayers, the care, and the gifts that you guys have given. We're so blessed to have people around us that really and truly do care for us. And we're so moved by that. So thank you very much for that, Renee. I really appreciate that. Would you continue to pray for her? So we have a service in an hour from now, six o'clock, and uh, it will be out of the book of Galatians. We'll have a time of of worship and praising him. And then we'll be looking at the book of Galatians. And we're going to be talking about what we receive when we become Christians. What changes in the life of a Christian when you become a Christian? What changes in your life when you become a Christian? You don't know Christ. And then you know him. We know that there's a transformation. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Our old things pass away and everything becomes new. So we want to talk about what is new. As Paul talks about us living for Christ by faith and not by the law, by the promise that came from Abraham. And um, there's a lot of good stuff there. We'll also be talking about baptism what I believe are the three different kinds of baptism that we have. So I'll be in the service tonight and Saturday's Q and a will start off. If you have questions, if you join us for that, you can join us online here in an hour, Facebook, YouTube, uh, calvarytucson.com. Uh, there are all places you can watch it. Uh, YouTube may be the best because you can watch this, go to YouTube on your, your smart TV and then go ahead and look for uh, Calvary Tucson with Robert Furrow and, and pull up and you can watch it live. And you can write down some questions and then ask those questions later on with that service. All right. So God bless you guys. Sorry about the technical difficulties. Seems like we're having regular technical difficulties now. Uh, This is a one man show going on here. So when something like that happens, I just got to take care of it. But now I know the best thing to do when something malfunctions with my screen is to just go, I'm going to, I'm just going to turn it off. And um, because I think this looks a little dramatic, right? Um, Just the black behind you. All right. So God bless you guys. Love you. Stay close to Jesus. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Remember, as we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples by that love that we have. So God bless you guys. Uh, We will see you next time. And Saturday, Lord willing, will be our next um, Hot Topic uh, podcast Q&A. God bless you. Uh, I'm, I'm out.